things that bump in the night. Things that creep us out. Voices from another realm. The figures that move out of the corner of your eye. That odd light in the sky. everybody welcome back to it came from amity as always across from me is noah weddle how's it going uh as promised we're going to present to you the second part of our hh home series uh we kind of uh, got a little bit of teaser in the first part about uh the murder house the murder castle um but we're, we're going to lead off now with uh his early murders into the end of his career as uh, dark as that sounds, but, um, his career. So one of his first victims, as he made far- a killing with his career. That's right. right. <laughs> 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 um, but one of his first victims was actually one of his mistresses. Her name was Julia Smythe. And she was the wife of Ned Connor, and they had actually moved in Holmes' building, and he was working at uh, Holmes' pharmacy at the jewelry counter. Ned? And then, Ned? Ned? <laughs> and then when uh, Ned found out that his wife and Holmes was having an affair, he quit his job and he moved away, leaving Smythe and their daughter, uh, uh, her name was Pearl, with Holmes and the uh, apartment building. With a name like Smythe, she just sounds like mouthy and... Yeah. And it's weird, too, mm. because he was just like, you know what, I'm done, and he leaves. Yeah. Like, I would have at least taken my daughter. Some guys, though, it's just, they, they're looking for that reason to get out. And it's it's true. like, well, now I can live a free life. And in the 1880s and 1890s, I mean, that actually happened a lot. If the yeah. husband caught the wife cheating, he would just leave. It was, I mean, it was kind of seen as the woman's job to take care of the kids. The dad... Yeah. You know, he's going to go off and start a new family, get a new job. Yeah. They didn't care about that. Yeah, and it so. was and back then it was a lot easier to start a new life too. Yeah, it wasn't there was like no today. child support or anything yeah. like that. So, I mean, he did what he felt he had to do, so. Yeah. Um Hey, I mean, if she cheated, then he has every right to leave her, so. True. So, uh Smythe gained full custody of Pearl, and she remained at the hotel and continued her relationship with Holmes. Um, in 1891, on Christmas Eve, Julia and Pearl both disappeared, and Holmes told law enforcement that uh, she had died during an abortion. Huh. Uh, but no one ever confirmed or could confirm what actually happened. Um, another likely uh, victim was a gal named Emmeline Sagrande. C-I-G-R-A-N-D-E. Sanguine. I guess. Emily Sanguine. But uh, she began working at the building in May of 1892 and then disappeared in December. What do you mean, like, working at the building? I don't know. I mean... Maybe working, like, at his... 
where his pharmacy was. She could be working in the pharmacy. She might have been working in the apartment area. Okay. Um, you know, she could be doing bookkeeping. It's hard telling. Okay. Um, and then another woman who mysteriously vanished out of the trace was a woman named Edna Van Tassel. I'm kind of imagining, when you said he opened a pharmacy, mm-hmm. I'm kind of imagining almost like downtown Edinburgh, where you've got the pharmacy and then the apartments above it. Or That's whatever. exactly what it was. And I'm, I'm imagining like a little kind of like a mom-pa Walgreens. Right. Where you would have your pharmacist, your mm-hmm. tech, and then maybe your cashier up front. That right. kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how they had it. It's like there's pictures of the building, but if you uh-huh. see it, the, the front on the corner, was like the lower area was the pharmacy. And back then, pharmacies kind of acted like convenience stores or yeah, department so stores. so it would be kind of a convenience <clears throat> store. Okay. I mean, they had, I mean, in, in Holmes's store, they had a jewelry counter. Yeah. Um, like in the old Schaefer's building here in town back years and years ago, they had a malt shop in the pharmacy. So you go get your prescriptions. You could go in there for some ice cream, right. candy, malts, whatever. And back then, that was the standard layout for a pharmacy. Okay. Not like the modern pharmacy where it doesn't matter if you walk into a Walgreens or a CVS, you have like, it's a pharmacy with a convenience store layout. Yeah. You know, so there's like shelves of potato chips that are highly priced because right. they're really proud of their layers for some reason. Everything's crazy expensive at Walgreens. It really is. And so back then, everything was in a pharmacy. It wasn't just your pharmacy, although it was. But they had their malts and their ice cream mm-hmm. and their shakes and Hot candy <laughs> and all that stuff. And you might have a jewelry counter or even clothing and some. Yeah. So it was almost like a department store as well. Um, so, yeah, you had Edna Van Tassel, who also disappeared. And... Uh, she is believed to be one of the victims, but it was never proven. Now, Holmes, uh, apparently by confession, said that his most usual method of killing was suffocation. And this included maybe overdose on chloroform, overexposure of light, lighting gas fumes. Uh, they might be trapped in an airless vault. Um, but, Gosh. but his way was going to be slow and methodical. Because um, chloroform can actually render you unconscious at killing you, but if you overdose on chloroform, then you will it die. It kills your brain. It kills your brain cells. You right. Know? Yeah, it's That's how di- you die. Yeah, it's a displacement of oxygen in the yeah. in the in the blood. And then your your brain. It, what chloroform does is it gets rid of your involuntary behaviors. Right. So like you stop breathing, you stop moving. It basically paralyzes you. Right. So. Don't ask me how I know that. Um, so that's how he generally did it. And also, he also had some, um, by confession, he also said that he enjoyed to uh, starve his victims as well as burning his victims alive. So pretty much any vicious way of torture he was going to do. Yeah. He, he didn't he, care. Yeah, he didn't care. You were a sport. As long as you suffered, he was fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So... While working in the chemical bank building in Dearborn Street, Holmes met and became close friends with a guy named Benjamin Peitzel, and he was a carpenter with a criminal past. Peitzel's pretzels. (laughs) No, that doesn't work. Wetzel's pretzel. (laughs) Yeah, Wetzel's Peitzel's pretzels. That'd be, you know what, I would, that's a pretty cool name. I like that one. Um, And apparently he was living in the same building and he actually was exhibiting a coal bin that he had invented. Um, 
Holmes then basically used Peitzel as his right-hand man for several criminal schemes. And uh, a district attorney at the time described Peitzel as Holmes's tool, his creature. He was, he was exhibiting a coal bin? Yeah. So, like, displaying. At, like, like the World State Fair yeah. or whatever? Or the World right. Fair? Okay. Right. Um, early on in 1893, a one-time actress named Minnie Williams, she moved to Chicago. And Holmes claimed to have met her in an appointment office, though there were rumors that he had met her in Boston years earlier. He offered her a job at the hotel, and she was his personal stenographer, and she accepted the job. Uh, Holmes also persuaded Williams to transfer the deed to her property in Fort Worth, Texas, to a man named Alexander Bond, which was an alias of Holmes. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't understand Bond's dad's name, Alexander Bond. <laughs> it may be people more gullible and more easy to trust back then. Yeah. But, he, but how do you persuade someone, if you're... Like, if you were to look at me and say, hey, I want you to persuade the steed of a property that you have to someone you've never met, you never know him, but he's a, an associate of mine. Right. Like, what would be the, like, why would you do that? You wouldn't. And you just transferred it. I mean, he didn't sell it. She just transferred the people deed. People were just, I don't want to say people were dumber back then, but they were just trust, more trusting of other people. I guess. Because it's like, there's no reason not to trust them. True. Right? Yeah, I guess. I mean... But, this, but pretty much the Holmes case is all the reasons why you don't just trust someone with oh, your yeah, property. Yeah, yeah. They learned real quick. <laughs> a deed to a property. It's almost like the day, like, uh, when people say, oh, it was a small town, no one ever locked their doors. It's because you trust your neighbors. Right. And you, you know, you're just not used to bad stuff happening to That's you. That's true, too. So, in April 1893, Williams transferred the deed with Holmes serving as a notary. Uh, and then Holmes signed the deed over to Peitzel, giving him the alias Benton T. Lyman. The next month, Holmes and Williams presented themselves as man and wife, rented an apartment in Chicago's Lincoln Park. Minnie's sister, her name was yeah. Annie, she came to visit, and in July, she wrote to her aunt that she planned to accompany Brother Harry to Europe. Neither Minnie nor Annie were seen alive after July 5th, 1893. So, I'm going to guess that Annie actually didn't write the note that Holmes wrote the note to accompany Brother right. Harry to Europe. That way she disappears in Europe, supposedly. That's what he did, though. Right. Yeah, that yeah. was common. He assumed identities and wrote letters. and Right. That's because the World's Fair was perfect because everyone was there on vacation or coming over from Europe or right. whatever, and then nobody would miss them or yeah. know where they're at, I mean. Yeah. And 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 at least here, I mean, he would just say, "Hey, so and so's going to Europe." Yeah. So as far as these people know, they went to Europe, and you know what they do, move in, or they maybe yeah. disappeared to some mysterious cause and in then Europe. Back then, by the time their family found out that they were missing, it's like they've already been gone for months at this point. And now you have no idea where they are. Yeah. It's not like they had overnight mail like we do now. Right. So. Holmes was credited to having an entrepreneurial spirit. He had a formal medical education, as we talked earlier. And with his connections in that field, he was able to sell skeletons to medical labs and schools. Yeah. Uh, he and sometimes a hired assistant were accused of stripping the flesh off the bodies, dissecting them, and preparing the viable skeletons. So most likely Peitzel. The rest of the remains would be tossed in pits of lime or acid, effectively breaking down the remaining evidence. So, so they take this, they, they, you know, basically they would 
the acid from Breaking Bad. Yeah. That eats everything. Yeah, or quick, like uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane when he's got the barrel full of it and he drops the gun in it. Or, yeah. Yeah. Quick lime will dissolve flesh and tissue. Yeah. It'll eat metal too, including organs. Yes, it will. And you know, and they would basically bleach the skeletons. You know, render them of whatever connective tissue might still be on them, mm. and sell them to these laboratories and these physicians and, and whoever else. Know. They just yeah. figured you got it from a morgue or whatever. Yep, it's that's very right. Why is this one stuck like this? <laughs> <laughs> his arm, his arms. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, so, and here's how H.H. H. Holmes effectively got caught. So, the insurance companies realizing that all these claims are coming from one person, they they press law enforcement to um, to arrest him, and then for the courts to prosecute him for for basically. Uh, um, fraud. Fraud. Right. Thank you. And um, so at this point, and for arson, so Holmes then leaves Chicago in July of 1894. And he reappears in Fort Worth, Texas, where he got the deed from Miss Williams. Time to start over. And he was captured, or sorry, he was found there at what is now Commerce Street and 2nd Street. And here he once again attempted to build an incomplete structure without paying his suppliers and contractors. Um, but unlike the former property, it was not a site of any additional killings. And in July of 1894, Holmes was then arrested and briefly jailed for the first time on the charge of selling mortgage goods in St. Louis, Missouri. He was promptly bailed out, but while in jail, he struck a conversation with a convicted outlaw named Marion Hedgepeth, who was serving a 25-year sentence. Holmes had concocted a plan to swindle an insurance company out of $10,000 by taking out a policy on himself and then faking his death. So he just abandoned and left his pharmacy and all that stuff, just left it there? And That's right. Nobody ever looked into his apartment or anything like Not that? Not this time. He, he most likely still owned it and just mm -hmm. kept it locked up and Probably. stuff. Probably. So the police never would, you know. Uh, Holmes also promised Hedgepeth a $500 commission in exchange for the name of a lawyer who could be trusted. Holmes was directed to a young St. Louis attorney named Jephthah Howe. Howe was in practice with his older brother, Alfonso Howe, who had no involvement with Holmes or Peitzel or their fraudulent activities. Jephthah Howe, however, found Holmes' scheme brilliant. Nevertheless, Holmes' plan to fake his own death failed when the insurance company became suspicious and refused to pay. Holmes did not press the claim. Instead, he concocted a similar plan with Peitzel. Heitzel agreed to fake his own death so that his wife could collect a $10,000 life insurance policy, which she was to split with Holmes and Jephthah Howe. The scheme, which was to take place in Philadelphia, called for Peitzel to set himself up as an inventor named, under the name B.F. Perry and then be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. Holmes was to find an appropriate cadaver to play the role of Peitzel. Instead, Holmes killed Peitzel by knocking him unconscious with chloroform and setting his body <laughs> on fire with the use of benzene. Oh, he fell for it. Yep. In his confession, Holmes implied Peitzel was still alive after he used the chloroform on him before he set him on fire. However, forensic evidence presented at Holmes' later trial showed chloroform had been administered after Peitzel's death. I'm sorry, Peitzel was dumb anyway. Pretty much. A fact which is the insurance company was unaware of, presumably to fake suicide to exonerate Holmes should he be charged with murder. So Holmes he was going to pass his body off like it was his, basically. That's what no, he was, doing. he was going to basically, at this point, not... 
past Peitzel off on his homes, but Peitzel off his Peitzel. Okay, and just collect on that. Yeah, Peitzel okay. just played along thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to fake But the original death. thing was they were going to fake Holmes' death. Right, but yeah. it, they did, but it He turned failed. on him. And yeah, the insurance company's like, yeah, we don't think so. Okay. Um, so Holmes was able to collect the insurance payout um, on this because, well, they had the genuine Peitzel corpse. Uh, Holmes then went on to manipulate Peitzel's unsuspecting wife and allowing three of her five children. And here's where it starts getting nasty. Uh, Alice, Nellie, and Howard to be placed in his custody. The eldest daughter and the baby remained with Mrs. Peitzel. Holmes and the three Peitzel children traveled throughout the northeastern, uh, northern United States and into Canada. Simultaneously, he escorted Mrs. Peitzel along a parallel route, all the while using various aliases and lying to Mrs. Peitzel concerning her husband's death, claiming that Peitzel was hiding in London as well as lying to her about the true whereabouts of her three missing children. In Detroit, just before entering Canada, they were only separated by a few blocks. In an even more audacious move, Holmes was staying at another location with his wife, who was unaware of the whole affair. Holmes would later confess to murdering Alice and Ellie by forcing them into a large trunk and locking them inside. He drilled a hole in the lid of the trunk and put one end of the hose through the hole, attaching the other end to a gas line to asphyxiate the girls. Holmes buried their nude bodies in a cellar of his rental house at 16 St. Vincent Street in Toronto. This home and address no longer exist, and St. Vincent Street having long since been aligned, realigned into part of Bay Street. So for those of you who might be wanting to go take a gander, you're not going to find it. Yeah. Frank Geyer, a Philadelphia police detective assigned to investigate Holmes and find the three missing children, found the decomposed bodies of the two Peitzel girls in the cellar of the Toronto home. Detective Gaia wrote, The deeper we dug, the more horrible the odor became, and when we reached the depth of three feet, we discovered what appeared to be the bone of the form of a human being. Gaia then went to Indianapolis, where Holmes had rented a cottage. Um, by the way, we're about to get into a really deep Indiana connection with H.H. H. Holmes, other okay. than just him being an Indy. Holmes was reported to have visited a local pharmacy to purchase the drugs, which he used to kill young Howard Peitzel in a repair shop to sharpen the knives he used to chop up the body before he burned it. The boy's teeth and bits of bone were discovered in the Holmes chimney. Holmes' murder spree finally ended when he was arrested in Boston on November 17, 1894, after being tracked there from Philadelphia by the Pinkertons. Mm. Now, and we've uh, discussed the Pinkertons yeah. before. They were actually involved in the Facilla axe murder case yeah. uh, for a short time. And the famous Carnegie riot. Right. Uh, yeah, the Pinkertons were a very famous private investigation yeah. firm. Paramilitary, basically. And at the time, they would have considered paramilitary, and they had very, very... Um, well, let's just say that if... Kill first, ask later. Yeah, if the Pinkertons there... took you in for questioning, it was not going to be pleasant. No. If they suspected you of the crime, and they were usually hired by the railroads. They were... A lot of times they were hired when you just wanted a group of people to die. Yeah. Like, the railroads <laughs> would hire them, like, to investigate thefts and mm -hmm. stuff like that and robberies. And if you were a suspect, as far as the Pinkertons were concerned, and you were captured and you were questioned, uh, expect to get the your your life beaten right. uh, almost out of you because... Or it would be like, this group of workers is rioting. Um, show up and kind of rough them up, yeah. which would just mean they would mow them down, basically. Yeah, during like riots, like union riots and stuff like that, uh, the Pinkertons would shoot people. Yeah. Just, they didn't care. That's what they were hired That's for. That's what they were hired for. Um, but yeah, so 
He was held on an outstanding warrant for horse theft in Texas because the authorities had become more suspicious at this point, and Holmes appeared poised to flee the country in the company of his unsuspecting third wife. Uh, following the discovery of Alice and Ellie's bodies in July of 1895, Chicago police and reporters began investigating Holmes' building in Inglewood, now locally referred to as the Castle. Though many sensational claims were made, no evidence was found which could have convicted Holmes in Chicago. According to Selzer, Stories of torture equipment found in the building are 20th century fiction. Now, we also know this not to be true. We know that there's many stories of uh, equipment being found in that, in that location. Um, in October 1895, Holmes was put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel and was found guilty and sentenced to death. By then, it was evident Holmes was also, had also murdered the three missing Peitzel children, and then following his conviction, Holmes confessed to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto. Though some people uh, he confessed to murdering were still alive, and six attempted murders. So some people were still alive, and some were not. And then some were just attempted that didn't actually come to fru uh, fruition at all. Uh, Holmes was paid $7,500 by Hearst, newspaper, Hearst Newspapers in exchange for his confession. Uh, which was quickly founded to be mostly nonsense. Holmes gave various contradictory accounts of his life, initially claiming incident innocence, uh, and later that he was possessed by Satan. His propensity for lying was made it difficult for researchers to ascertain the truth on the basis of his statements. While writing his confession in prison, Holmes mentioned how drastically his facial appearance had changed since imprisonment. He described his new grim appearance as gruesome and taking a satanical cast. And wrote, he is now convinced after everything he had done, he was beginning to resemble the devil. Um, Holmes was hanged on May 7th, 1896 uh, in prison. Uh, it was also known as the Philadelphia County Prison for his murder was Peitzel. Until the moment of his death, Holmes remained calm and amiable, showing very few signs of fear, anxiety, or depression. Despite this, he asked for his coffin to be contained in cement and buried 10 feet deep because he was concerned grave robbers would steal his body and use it for dissection. Holmes' neck did not break. He instead strangled to death slowly, twitching for over 15 minutes before being pronounced dead 20 minutes after the trap had been sprung. Upon his execution, Holmes' body was interred in an unmarked grave at Holy Cross Cemetery, a Catholic cemetery in the Philadelphia western suburb of Eden, Pennsylvania. On New Year's Eve, 1909, Hedgepeth, who had been pardoned for informing on Holmes, was shot and killed by police after, after Ed, Officer Edward Jaburik during a holdup at Chicago Saloon. On March 7, 1914, the Chicago Tribune reported that with the death of Patrick Quinlan, the former caretaker of the castle, the mysteries of Holmes' castle would remain unexplained. Quinlan had committed suicide by taking strychnine. His body was found in the bedroom with a note that read, I couldn't sleep. Quinlan's surviving relatives claims that he had been haunted for several months and was suffering from hallucinations. The castle itself was mysteriously gutted by a fire in August of 1895, and according to a newspaper clipping from the New York Times, two men were seen entering the back of the building between 8 and 9 p.m. About half an hour later, they were seen exiting the building and rapidly running away. <laughs> Following several explosions, the castle went up in flames. Afterwards, investigators found a half-empty chaos can underneath the back steps of the building. The building survived the fire and remained in use until it was torn down in 1938. The site is now occupied by the Inglewood branch of the United States Postal Service. Um, so as a last bit, 
2017, there were actually rumors that Holmes had escaped execution and that Holmes' body was exhumed for testing, led by a woman named Janet Mung of the University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology. Due to his coffin being contained in cement, his body was found not to have decomposed normally. His clothes were almost perfectly preserved, and his mustache was found to be intact. Ugh. The body was positively identified by his teeth as that being of Holmes. Holmes was improperly reburied. Um, so, you might be asking, well, what's the Indiana connection with H.H. H. Holmes other than the fact that he made a stop in Indianapolis? Well, as it be, he actually married a woman from Columbus, Indiana. Really? Yes, he did. Um, now, this is a short tidbit. Now, we actually brought her up. She was already named. Um, but his wife's name was... Georgiana Yoke. Uh, she was the one that said that she had no idea that Holmes was doing all this. Yeah. Um, he probably, he basically just married just to keep face. Well, like, when he married Georgiana, he was actually still legally married to his first two wives. Yeah. Um, and apparently she didn't know that either. So he actually met Georgiana in Chicago of State Street and Congress Parkway. And, excuse me, she was actually a school teacher working in the third school district of Columbus, Indiana. Uh, mm. I got this uh, from a website called vamone.com, V-A-M-O-N-D-E. But she was a school teacher in, in Columbus, and she wanted to go to Chicago for some adventure. She knew that the World's Fair was going to be there in, 19, in 1893, and she wanted to go be part of that excitement. She was bored at home. Let's go have some adventure. Right. Uh, apparently, she was a tall, strong, adventurous young woman. She was 23 years old at the time, and they said she had blue eyes so large that some thought they looked odd. She might have been pretty sexy. You know? Um, there's actually a few pictures of her. Yeah. She sounds like a tall Swedish blonde. There's Peitzel again. What was her name again? Georgiana Yoke. Okay. Uh, there's actually a few books about her and her testimony. Oh, uh, she wasn't sexy. I'm wrong. <laughs> Sorry to. I'm very you. wrong. Um. So, she turned 24 on October 17th. She's was, not bad there. That was her? Yeah. She's not bad there. Are you sure that's her? It's, that's what it says. I don't know. I mean, if that's her, I mean, she's not an ugly woman. Yeah. I mean, she's not off-putting. Yeah. But she turned 24 on October 17th of 1893, which is the year of the World's Fair, and three months later, Holmes took her to Denver, Colorado to be a third wife. Did you see that face I just made when I pulled that picture up? Uh-huh. Yeah. Who's that? I don't know. One of his wives. Well, apparently he didn't have great taste. He didn't have very good taste. No. 
You see, you ever see someone that looks like a ghost before they die? Oh yeah. Where it's like, oh. Yeah. When I was an EMT, and and I would take and we would do transports in and out of St. Vincent's A Sixth Street a lot. Yeah. Um, they would have pictures of like the late 1800s and early 1900s of like the early St. Vincent's Hospital, mm-hmm. and. They were very creepy. Some of them yeah. were very, very creepy. And it's like, are we sure not everyone in this picture is a ghost? Because yeah. I'm pretty sure they all might People be ghosts. People were never happy in pictures either. That doesn't help. No, it doesn't help at all. And mm. you have like these big eyes, like they're just, just staring at the camera, like not trying stares. not to blink. And yeah. it's like, good Lord. Creepy. Um, anyway. So, yeah. So the marriage was performed by the Reverend E.J. Wilcox of the Fifth Avenue Methodist Church on January 17th, 1894. The marriage wouldn't last long, however, as Holmes was soon arrested, tried and convicted for the murder of his business associate, Benjamin Peitzel. And uh, we're not going to go through all that stuff afterward because uh, that, that's just obvious stuff that we talked about before about the hanging and all that. But um, the key witness concerning the whereabouts and the state of mind following the murder was Georgiana. Mm. So she was actually a massive key witness uh, because... Uh, Georgiana was actually as much in the dark, supposedly, as everybody else because Holmes was moving all over the place and Georgiana was... I mean, his whole mission was to fool and hide stuff from people. Right. Obviously, she's no different than anybody, any other victim. Um, Yeah, she was pretty much in the dark and she was actually a key witness for the prosecution regarding... Holmes against Peitzel. Okay. Now, so he got his, he basically got arrested for just that one scheme with Peitzel. But he didn't get arrested for the scheme. He got arrested for murdering Peitzel. For murder. And then they uncovered all the other murders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a book, if you're wanting to know more about the whole relationship between Georgiana and, and Holmes, there's a book called A Competent Witness. It's uh, written by Judith Nichols. Um, but yeah, it's called a competent witness, Georgiana Yock in the trial or Yoke in the trial of H. H. Holmes. Um, hmm. So this would kind of give you an in-depth look at the relationship between Yoke and Holmes and her testimony against Holmes during the trial. But I don't know what a yoke is, but she looks like one. <laughs> right. She looks like the word yoke. Like an egg yolk. I guess that's. Y O L K in it. Yoke. I think a yoke in is actually what holds um, oxen together. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, and she's a bit frumpy, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hate to crap on people, but they weren't the best looking back then, you know. And like we said, the photography back then didn't help either. No. But still. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, but not what you would expect. I'm sure in person she looked normal, and she probably dressed very nice and all that. But to us, it's just, you know. She did have really large eyes, though, didn't she? Yeah. I mean. Yoked. (laughs) She was yoked. (laughs) No, she had large eyes and kind of a long nose. Really round head. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure... That in today, if she was walking around, she would look just like the average woman. Oh, like, yeah. Like, I mean, obviously not that outfit and that hairstyle. Yeah. 
But if you gave her a modern hairstyle, like well, let's just say a pixie cut, for example, yeah. and and put her in a t shirt and a pair of blue jeans, she you wouldn't it's, even you wouldn't even you wouldn't give her a second look. She'd just the be the way average they, woman. Women didn't really wear makeup, and then they did their hair in a way where it was like that makes their head look weird. Yeah, you know, they didn't really wear makeup like they do today. I, I mean, they wore like concealer that would make their face really pale and stuff. Maybe some lipstick. And a lot of the makeup they wore but, back then, it was actually, some of it was rather poisonous. Yeah. Lead and stuff. But, yeah. But that's pretty much the connection there with H.H. H. Holmes in Indiana is, like I said, other than the stop at Indianapolis, his mm-hmm. wife, his third and final wife, was from Columbus, Indiana. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty close to here. like Home of Tony Stewart. Like a Ooh. half hour drive from here in Amity. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty close. Not even. 20 minutes. Yeah, something like that, there. yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it's... So, there's your really local connection, H.H. H. Holmes, which I didn't know until I started doing the research. So, but... Um, he got cool him an stuff. Indiana woman, and she became the death of him. <laughs> pretty much. She put him away. Yeah, because they were wanting... Because the prosecution... Because they knew that they couldn't rely on any information that Holmes was giving them. Oh, yeah. Whether that be the prosecution He's or the defense. He's a habitual liar. So the defense is like, well, my, 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 my client has no credibility at all. Yeah. So the prosecution needed someone with some credibility. And that could basically say that this is what was happening. Yeah. Now, she could confirm where he was at and what was going on within Holmes's mind. But she was like, I didn't know he was doing all this stuff. Well, not only was he a psychopath, he was a sociopath and a narcissist. So he's going to lie. You know, lying is nothing to him. He probably doesn't even know he's lying. I think he knew. I just think. But you get so used to it. True. That a lie just becomes something you do. I think that he did it just for, just because he can. Yeah. I mean, he did it because he had no reason not to. I mean, he can do whatever he He knows he's going to die. Yeah. He knows that he's already going to die for Peitzel's murder. So now he can say whatever he wants. Now he's just going to just do everything he can at this point just to frustrate law enforcement, just to frustrate the courts. Getting someone to believe a lie is a small victory, too, in his mind. Right. Because so. now he's like, because he knows that the only murder they're going to get him for is Peitzel. Right. Because he did such a good job of disposing the evidence prior. Mm-hmm. Because Peitzel's a corpse. They. Matter of fact, I mean, he kept Peitzel's body around so he could actually get the claim. With everybody else, the insurance company's like, look, man, we're used so, so used to getting claims from you. We're not, we're not going to do this anymore. Right. So he's like, look, I got Peitzel's body. He's definitely dead. Yeah. He's on marionette strings. Yeah, he's like, look, here's his body. Fwomp, and he oh, falls Peitzel. <laughs> and look, we have a dead body. Where's my money? And the insurance like, fine. They give him the money. Yeah. And then. All of a sudden, three out of five Peitzel kids are dead. Weekend at Peitzel's. <laughs> He's like maneuvering his body. <laughs> I mean, and my thing is, too, is like. Peitzel was dumb for five. Peitzel was it, dumb, though. and the wife wasn't bright either. Yeah. Here, here's three of my kids I'm just going to give right. you custody of for no reason. I don't know you. Stupid. Here's three of my kids. And it's like, I think a big issue, and I, I don't say issue, the biggest thing that helped. Holmes out as he knew who to target. Yeah. He yeah. purposely picked people. You find someone who's dumb, but also wants to be a co-criminal. 
Yeah. Then you could throw his butt under the bus when you need to, and none the wiser. Or it's like in the cases of the victims where, hey, can you sign me over your deed? Yeah. Hey, can you? Hey, just take out life insurance policy with me as beneficiary. Hey, you're going to the World Fair, but you're from Britain with multimillionaire parents. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he just he knew to target people who were gullible. He it's like yeah. he was not. I don't want to say a product of his time, but he was in the right time at the right place because of all the travel that was happening and all the immigration, like. Yeah. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, he did. I mean, he was very predatory, and he knew that he had to have, I've got the perfect location. Mm -hmm. I've got the perfect front. Perfect setting. I've got everything I need. Now I just have the people. And and he knew how to make them disappear. He knew knew exactly what to do. I know that insurance companies are gullible. They're not going to do their fact-checking. And back then, you really didn't... Like, for example, back then, you could still have family plots, right? Yeah. Like, if you were a farmer and and you had, like, a large lot of land, it was still acceptable then if someone on your property died or someone in your family died, there was no autopsy. No, you just buried them on the property. You just buried them. Now, if you do that without an autopsy, you're going to jail. Yeah. So, back then, it was much of the same. It was like... Oh, you mean your employer took out a life insurance policy on? All right, that's cool. Yeah. Because, like, especially, like, out in the frontier, especially if you're doing, like, something dangerous, like, mm-hmm. like, you were a cattle, like you were a cattleman, and you had a bunch of hands that helped you out on cattle drives, and one of them got stampeded, it was not necessarily uncommon for you to have a life insurance policy in, in your employee's name right. to collect if he died. That was not an uncommon and thing. And that happened to do. frequently. So. so, this was not an uncommon practice. Nowadays, if your employer's like, by the way, we're going to take out a life insurance policy on you. Yeah. You'd be like, you know what? I think I'm going to, ah, you know what? I'm not going to take this job. Right. Mm. Matter of fact, it might actually be illegal. I don't know. I'd have to look into it. But Maybe. But, um, so, no, what do you think about the H.H. Holmes case in general as a whole? I think it's interesting. I mean, it's classic American tale. Yeah. Right. We've heard it. We've all heard different variations of it. But, uh, yeah, he was a very evil person. <laughs> he was very smart, calculated, and just the right time at the right place. Yeah, I mean, I think, because there's a lot of lore surrounding Holmes. Like, there yeah. was a lot of speculation he was Jack the Ripper also. Cause, yeah. But. I haven't really thought too much into that. So. When you look into the H.H. H. Holmes timeline, and we discussed it when we did Jack the Ripper, is when you actually look into the A.J. Holmes timeline, at no point was he ever in London. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, all right. And it's that, a cool that would theory. Have been a complete change of M.O. on his part. Right. And he doesn't seem like the kind of person that strays too much from his M.O. Well, no, because he wants to do what he wants to do. Yeah. And his main thing, his main focus is he's a fraudster. Mm-hmm. He's not going to go kill hookers. What are you going to get from them? A couple bucks, maybe? Because, I mean, it's obvious he has no issue with killing. Yeah. But he, he needs to collect on that killing. Yeah. And You're not going to get anything from prostitutes in Whitechapel. What? Maybe a some, few pounds? Some cocaine and maybe a dollar bill. Like, yeah. what are you going to get? So, I mean, he knew. So, yeah, he's got this methodology because he didn't kill for the sake to kill, which is what mm-hmm. Jack the Ripper was doing. He was killing to collect. Right. He was like a hitman, but he was hitting for himself. Yeah. So, 
to kill means to collect and 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 with Jack the Ripper's MO it was to kill to kill because yeah. he just likes to kill. Exactly. You know, the thing that I don't quite understand is like he killed those three Pitzel kids, but it's obvious he didn't collect on that. So I don't understand what the what the what, I don't know. what that thought unless he was finally just losing his bearing on what was it going was, on. It was it could have been one of those things where he's going deeper into the rabbit hole and he's got to cut he's got to kill this to cover up this kill this to cover up that maybe you know? or he knows i'm going to be in prison by this time tomorrow i might as well just slay as much as i can whatever's maybe. around me maybe that's what ted bundy did yeah so i, I don't know i mean because those three murders alone don't make sense because no. that doesn't fit his mo at all right because he wasn't collecting on them at that point he's on the run yeah there was no active life support or life support, life insurance. And he could have just been mad, like, "Oh, they're on to me, and now I want to take it out on somebody because I'm mm-hmm. pissed off." And what would and what the and the big thing is is he was given Mrs. Peitzel these places to stay, yeah. and the whole time throughout that travel, at any given time, Holmes was literally just a few blocks away. Mm-hmm. Literally, each and every place that he'd send Mrs. Peitzel to, he was only a few blocks away. Yeah. So that that to me is kind of eerie. It's like what what's the what's the method there? Like what's the reason for that? Was it to keep tabs on Mrs. Peitzel? Maybe. I mean, it's it's hard because the whole time like he's moving, he's actually telling her that they're like like forever away. Like they're miles and miles and miles away when it when realistically they're in the same place. Right. So that's pretty much the close of the H.H. Holmes story for us. Um, We've kept each episode at about 45 minutes or so. There's a lot more to it, but it's a lot of it's kind of mundane. There is. And and, and I would agree. It's a lot of mundane story. Every murder starts to look the same. And yeah, we, um, the big, the big goal that we were chasing here was to give you the background and then give you the chase Mm -hmm. and then lead up to the end. Um, as we, and then, like I said, at the big, at the, when we did the cold open at their tail end, when Holmes was basically saying that he always believed that the devil was within him, that, I mean, yeah, he tried to say that, you know, he was possessed by the devil and I don't think he was necessarily possessed by the devil, but he, it was probably just an out for him to, oh, maybe they'll think I'm crazy. I think so. That's what a lot of people do. I mean, he was definitely evil. Yeah. I mean, there's no, I mean, if he could have got away with it for longer, he would have done it for longer. people would rather spend time in a mental asylum than in prison. Right. So that's, that's always the, the factor there. Especially, I, we, I mean, we discussed that in several other cases where people would say, well, I'm crazy. Yeah. Well, crazy people don't know they're crazy. Someone as crafty as him... And as smart as him, either go be a, a bitch in prison or be a king in a mental asylum. Which someone like Holmes would he reign would be supreme. A king. Yeah, because yeah. he can manipulate every, everybody yes, in there. exactly. So why wouldn't he want that? Yep. So, I don't know. Like, like I said, H.H. H. Holmes is definitely evil. There's no d- d- discrepancy there. Crazy. Someone that methodical with that much effort, they're not crazy. No. I mean, he did that for collection he did that for a financial reason yeah. it was a quick quick you, you know five thousand dollars to be a complete psychopath right like or sociopath oh yeah because sociopath that means you just don't feel bad for your actions right. a sociopath is not 
the same as being a psychopath. No. This person, a psychopath sociopath. means you want to harm people. Right. Sociopath means you don't feel bad if you harm people. Yeah. It, it, cause so, they're just, you know, they're there for your, for being your, being crazy. What you want. Most crazy people are harmless to others. They're just Usually. crazy, you know, within. And, and yeah, and crazy people don't know they're crazy. You don't, exactly. you don't, you don't come out and say, oh, I'm crazy. Yeah. You know, crazy people don't know they're crazy. Right. Insane people do not know they're insane. That's why they're insane. Yep. So, I mean, Holmes was a fraudster at heart, but with evil intents to get what he wanted. So, yeah. But I really hope you guys enjoyed this two-parter. We don't do these a lot. It sure didn't pay off for him. No, it didn't. He got him the death sentence for all those murders. And here's the one thing I'll say. I don't think, I mean, maybe justice was served indefinitely, but the fact that he was put to death for only one, that's like, I almost like the whole Capone case where what got Capone in prison. Right was tax evasion, not all the other I mean, the most important thing is just he's dead. True. So, whatever, you know? Yeah, he can't kill anybody. Well, he couldn't kill anybody else at that point, could he? Nope. But like I said, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, As always, share with your friends and family and your coworkers who like this stuff as much as you do. And please visit Teespring Store if you haven't. We're getting to the, well, we are at the tail end of August. And uh, if you guys go to teespring now and try to order your hoodies or your sweatshirts or what have you with our logo on it you'll get that in plenty of time for the cold season ahead. i can't believe it's already the end of august i know man. this year has it's flown insane. by insane but, but we're coming up on the spooky season soon yep but the end of august we'll get in september and we're pretty much in that time of year at that point yep from what september and october do a ghost hunt or something we'll see i'll have i'll have every single weekend off now with okay. my new job so we'll look into it then i'm good with it so stay tuned